1: Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And so uh, we see a very similar situation now here in uh, Judges chapter 13 with Manoah and his wife. After hearing this wonderful news that she was going to give birth to a son, Samson, and even though she was barren and and now she's gonna have this child because being barren as a woman in this culture was uh, really akin to being cursed by God
0: Hi everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. In the rest of this chapter, we see that we should regard this angel as not just a mere angel. As seen before in the book of Judges, this was Jesus on a special mission, appearing as a man before his incarnation in Bethlehem. The angel of God said to Manoah's wife, You are barren and have bore no children but you shall conceive and bear a son. This promise came as a great blessing to this woman burdened with childlessness. Lord Jesus, we thank you for interrupting life to spread your grace. And now, let's join Pastor Rob with today's message.
1: You know, the the, the word, the number 40 really speaks of trial and testing. Just as the children of Israel were in the desert for 40 years, God was going to, allow the Philistines to really be a, a thorn in the side of Israel for 40 years. And the Philistines were a perennial enemy of Israel and it would uh, and notice that it says well, we just read it that that uh, Samson would begin to deliver the children of Israel out of the hands of the Philistines because it would take a lot more uh, effort at, even after Samson had passed from the scenes, we know that Samuel and Saul and certainly David would put a huge dent in the Philistine um, uh, nation, which God wanted to eradicate altogether. And and even later on, uh, they were still battling them, but for the most part, they were subdued after David's reign. To the most uh, part, or for the most part, so in verse two it says, "Now there was a certain man from Zorah." of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. This land of, or this city of Zorah is, uh, the name of it literally means a place of hornets. And so, uh, don't know what this place looked like, uh, but evidently they had a, a bee problem at some point. Uh, they needed to call in the fumigators and the insecticides and, they need to call in those guys to take care of the, the hornets and the wasps. Uh, so, But this land, this place called Zora, was actually, if you were to look at uh, Jerusalem on the map and go immediately west, about 13 miles to the west, you would run into this area called Zora, And it was a town that were originally belonged to the tribe of, of, of Judah, but later on was annexed to the tribe of Dan. And you can look at Joshua 15 verse 33 and that will, uh, show how it originally belonged to the tribe of Judah when they first came into the land and they began to divvy up, uh, the land. But later it was annexed to the tribe of Dan and you can read about that in Joshua chapter 19 verse 40 and 41. And so these, uh, this land of, of Zorah, and it says that they were of the family of the Danites. Uh, this man Zora, or I'm sorry, the Manoah. Excuse me. He was of the Danites, and whose name was Manoah. And you recall that the tribe of Dan was a uh, one of the tribes that settled really on the western shore of of the land of Israel that you and I would know today. And it was. There was a time when when the tribe of Dan, that because of the Philistine activity all around them, a group of them broke off and started and went up north, actually north of the Sea of Galilee into uh, a town called Laish, uh, which is, uh, like I said, north of the Sea of Galilee. And, and they, they called the name of the city, they renamed it from Laish to Dan. And so there was a remnant that stayed down here, on, on the western shore but there was a, also a, a good number of them that went north and they called it Dan and it's interesting because we know that when Jeroboam became the king of the northern ten tribes that one of the things that he did first was to create two centers of worship one was in Bethel where he had a golden calf and a false altar and also in the tribe or up in the city of Dan where there was also another altar where there was false idolatry and there was a golden calf up there. And uh, again, we, we just got back from Israel. Uh, it's We haven't just got back. It's been <laughs> uh, about two months now, I guess. But when we were over there, we went to that very place. And you can see the altar that is there that they worshipped on, and it's still there today. And so uh, this is where uh, much of the tribe of Dan uh, went to, because of the Philistines. And so the Philistines were really a problem for them. And so let's go on in verse 3. It says, And so the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, to Manoah's wife, and said to her, Indeed, you are barren and have become and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And we have looked at this in, in weeks past, but just to quickly recap, this idea of the angel of the Lord uh, this is a, a a theophany or a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, meaning we know that Jesus was born through the Virgin Mary and tabernacled really among us in human flesh, but before that event occurred, He existed always with the Father in eternity past. And so He, is the, he, is all, he has always existed, but we know that there were times in Israel's history for reasons that only are known to God, uh, and, and, and really just to keep his plan of redemption and his, his plan for his people uh, going forward, he would intervene at certain times in their history and kind of steer them in the right direction and bring them to task, actually, much of the time. And so the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, and so this angel of the Lord, we see this, uh, the very first mention of this phrase, the angel of the Lord, is in Genesis chapter 6. And you recall that when Abram went into Sarai's uh, handmaiden, Hagar, remember, and she bore a son, and they named his son uh, uh, Ishmael, that Sarah became jealous, and she basically drove Hagar out of the family. And Hagar took off, and, and the Lord met her uh, in his compassion out in the desert. And it says that the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur, And so, this angel of the Lord, we believe, is Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate form. It's also called, like I said, a theophany. We see that also in Genesis chapter 18 and 19, when the three angels come to Abram before they uh, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. One of those angels, we believe, is Jesus. Uh, Again, a a theophany or a pre-incarnate visitation of the Lord. But let's go with go with me and back up a couple of chapters, because I want you to see something that's interesting. Because back in uh, Judges chapter 6, in the life of Gideon, we saw this angel of the Lord in operation as well. And I want to read to you, or have you read with me, actually. Open up to Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 11 down through 22. And we're going to read the whole entire thing, because it has more than one purpose. It It shows us, again, this uh, angel of the Lord in action in Gideon's life, but it also shows us at the end something that happened that is very, very similar to what we're going to read tonight. And it'll make complete sense as we get there. And we, actually, we've already read it, so you've already got it kind of ruminating in your brain. Uh, but look at Judges chapter 6, verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord, again, the the angel of the Lord, whenever you see the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord, more often than not, it is a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus. But notice what it says. Says the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And remember what Gideon said. He said, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And then the Lord, noticed. then the Lord turned to him, Who is this? It's the angel of the Lord, but notice what it says in your Bible. Then the Lord turned to him, and that word Lord is Jehovah. So we know that this is God in human flesh, God pre-incarnate in human flesh. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, and here's the other part of it too. He says, O oh my Lord, can I... How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. The Lord said to him, Surely I'll be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites. And then he said to him, verse 17, If now I have found favor in your sight... Then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from me, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And so remember, Gideon's heart, he, you know, he just needed a little extra nudge. You know, the Lord had told him so many great and wonderful things, but he asked for a sign and the Lord in his grace gave it to him. But before uh, the angel of the Lord would leave, Gideon really wanted to offer him. He knew that there was something unique about this this, this God that he's standing before. And he said, "I, you know, let me um, give an offering to you. And he says, I will wait until you come back. And so Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread and from an ephah flour. And the meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot. And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. The angel of the Lord took the end of his staff it was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire arose out of the rock, consumed the meat and the unleavened bread, and then notice, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, so Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And so... Uh, We see a very similar situation now here in uh, Judges chapter 13 with Manoah and his wife. After hearing this wonderful news that she was going to give birth to a son, Samson, and even though she was barren, and, and now she's going to have this child, because being barren as a woman in this culture was uh, really akin to being cursed by God. Everyone would look at her with suspicion, thinking, what did she do to deserve such a thing? Because every woman who had children was was considered blessed, but the woman who was barren was not. And so uh, we see this uh, happening And so we know that this was an angel of the Lord. And so at the the very end of verse 3, he says, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And you know, uh, we see the Lord bringing in a son in so many other women in the Bible. And, And just a couple of examples, we won't go into any great detail here, but we know that Hannah was also a woman who was barren. Her, uh, the other woman who was married to Elkanah, her husband, the other woman, uh, Penina, she was very fruitful and, and very uh, uh, able to have children. Hannah, however, was not, and so the Lord gave her Samuel. We know that, and 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 she made a vow before the Lord, and 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 she made a vow that he would be a Nazarite actually from his birth, and and she dedicated him to the Lord, and we know also. In Luke chapter 1, in verses 5 through 17, that Zacharias, uh, the Lord appeared to him and his wife Elizabeth, and uh, they, they were the, the parents of John the Baptist. And again, he was a Nazarite from birth for, the, for his life as well. You know, to me, it's interesting that the Lord does these miracles and extra- extraordinary things in, in times in the history of Israel and in the church and in the world for that matter to accomplish His will, to accomplish His will and, and, and forward His program of redemption and certainly the consummation of all things, which we will, will know uh, when Jesus Christ comes back physically to the earth. And, and even beyond that, at the end of the millennial reign, we will see the consummation of all things and how we groan within ourselves for that time uh, i don 't know about you but there's uh, i'm looking so looking forward for that consummation for that consummation of all things coming to an end and just being able to exhale and and no longer experience the the hardships and, and certainly the church in America the church uh, many parts of the church aren 't really in a difficult strait um, as far as the early you know the early church in the first century, they really went through a lot of a lot of physical harm. But thank God we live in an age of grace, and He has been thus with us. But notice in verse 4, it says, Now therefore, the angel says to her, Please be careful and not drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver. You might want to underline that word, It doesn't mean he's going to deliver them completely, but he's going to begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And so in these verses 3 through 5, we see three things. That number one, that Manoah's wife, she uh, she being barren, was going to give birth to a son. Number two, that the son would be a Nazarite and that he would begin to deliver Israel from the bondage of the Philistines. And you may be asking yourself, well, what exactly is a Nazarite? It sounds very similar to Nazareth. You know, there's a verse about Jesus being called a Nazarene, but a Nazarene is really somebody just from Nazareth. But a Nazarite is something very specific, and the name literally means consecration. It comes from the Hebrew word Nazir, which means to, be, to consecrate, to set apart someone's life. And you know What better life uh, that was sanctified and set apart than the life of Jesus? You know, He only did those things that pleased His Father. He always chose to do His will like you and I ought to as well. But notice, um, in the Bible it talks about two different types of Nazarite vows. One is uh, uh, something that somebody does for a specific time, a short period of time. And then there are others who, who are Nazarites from their birth until the end of their life. And we see that in, in three people's lives in the Bible. The first one is uh, Samson. We see that in Samson. We're also going to see it in the life of Samuel, and we're also going to see it in the life of John the Baptist. All three of these men uh, took the Nazarite vow from their, from their infancy until the day of their death. But turn with me to Numbers chapter 6 because this is kind of an interesting vow that a person would take upon themselves or have placed upon them in the case of Samson, it was something that even from while he was still in his mother 's womb, God even instructed her to, for a time anyway, to uh, submit herself to this vow and to not drink any strong drink and to go through those things, not touch any dead body and things of that nature, so even from his his development in the womb, he was a Nazarite from the womb. but notice what it says with me. In Numbers chapter 6, because it speaks about this law of the Nazarite. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. "...neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. And all the days of the vow of his separation no razor shall come upon his head, And until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord, and he shall be holy." In other words, being separate. And that's exactly what a Nazarite is they are They have a separate life, a life that's separated unto God. And so it says, Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow, and all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. Notice that. He shall not go near a dead body because he would defile himself. He shall not make himself unclean, even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation he shall be holy to the Lord. I won't continue to to read it, but you can finish reading it, because it does take some time. But I would encourage you to read down to verse 21, because it talks about the ins and outs of that. But it's interesting that Samson, when we look at this vow that was placed upon him, even from his uh, in his mother's womb, that as we look through these next four chapters, uh, especially fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, we're going to see that Samson really went back on all of those things. Um, you know, he, he did cut his hair, he did flirt with uh, you know honey from the from the uh, from a, out of the side of a of a lion, which was an unclean animal, and he even gave it to his parents unbeknown to them, he gave it to them. Um, he was a, he had a problem with um, a sexual purity. Certainly he was a, a man who had a, a number of girlfriends and didn't have any self-control of, of himself in that regard. And so we see uh, this vow that he took and, and again we just read most or some of it and you can finish reading it on your own time there. But but Samuel we know uh, was another man uh, who had a vow from birth. If you remember, in First Samuel chapter one, let me just read this to you. It's shorter. It says that Elkanah her husband said to Hannah, "Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? And am I not better to you than ten sons?" And and so Hannah rose up from their visit there in Shiloh at the temple or at the in the tabernacle. And Eli, the priest, was sitting of the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed to the Lord, and she wept in anguish, and notice... She made a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but but give your maidservant a male child, notice her vow, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And notice, and no razor shall come upon his head. And so Hannah puts her son Samuel under this Nazarite vow even before he's even conceived. And so we see that that happens. And um, a similar thing with John the Baptist. You know, um, John, um, or I'm sorry, uh, Zacharias, uh, John the Baptist's father, remember, he was visited by an angel in the temple when he was serving, because remember, he was a Levite. And what did he say in verse 15 of Luke chapter 1? The angel said to to Zacharias, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, because certainly Zacharias was no doubt praying. As they began to get older and older and there were no children, he began, I'm sure, to pray, Lord, just please give me a son. You know, Please give me a son. And no doubt uh, his wife was praying for the same thing. And and the Lord says to him, the angel said to him, Your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And here it is right here. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so, these men in history, and you notice there's not a great number of them either, and we're talking about a long time in between, hundreds of years sometimes between these men. I mean, certainly with Samson and uh, Samuel, they were actually at one point contemporaries with one another, we believe. But, you know, when you look at the life of John the Baptist, he wouldn't come around for uh, another thousand years at least. And so, uh, this kind of thing doesn't happen a whole lot. You know, uh, somebody being uh, sanctified and, and set apart from the womb, like Jeremiah, like God said to Jeremiah, you know, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I love that. So much for the uh, abortion doctors and, and for the doctors who say that life doesn't begin, you know, it's not viable uh, at all until maybe when it comes out of the womb. No, God says, even before conception.